0: This summer, Interference Archive presented If a Song Could Be Freedom, Organized Sounds of Resistance, an exhibition about the complex relationships between music-making, on-the-ground organizing, and visual culture. Before the exhibition opened, Greg Mihalko sat down with Interference co-founder Josh McPhee to talk about his collection of hardcore punk flyers and ephemera from the late 80s and early 90s.
1: So we are at the Interference Archive at 131 8th Street in Gowanus, Brooklyn. I'm Greg Mahalko, and Josh McPhee. How you doing, Josh? I'm okay. It turns out that now at
0: Interference we have this box that's two inches deep of punk flyers from the late 80s to the mid 90s that are actually kind of an amazing historical artifact of a particular culture that doesn't really exist in the same form anymore.
1: And want to just rummage through and see if you can pick out any favorites?
0: As we popped the box open and I was just going through, it, it was amazed that just in the first 20, there are three different flyers for different shows that are all benefits for different causes. So one is around issues of homelessness, one is AIDS, and one is three different groups. Planned Parenthood, a free clinic, and the Fund for Feminist Majority. And so I think that just like this very immediate sampling shows really direct connections between people's conception of themselves making their own musical culture and that being connected to trying to change the world in much broader ways. And that is what attracted me to the culture and what led to the movement from making flyers for bands to making flyers for different political causes or mm-hmm. posters, t-shirts and other kinds of graphic stuff that was no longer connected to music but connected to different community
1: organizations and neighborhood groups and political entities. Yeah. Can you describe maybe the the yellow one a little bit and maybe do you remember <laughs> picking this up or where you got it?
0: Well, I mean I remember that, you know, this is a flyer that's from nineteen ninety one. The the headlighting band is a band called Eye for an Eye, which was a big Boston hardcore band. And hardcore was the sort of subgenre of punk that I was particularly involved in. The the flyer's kind of amazing because it's a it's a very kind of rudimentary attempt at articulating literally the the band name. So there's like these two hands that sit on top of someone's mouth and nose in lieu of the rest of their head that are holding eyes. One hand is taking an eye and one is kind of offering it. Um, So it sort of almost looks like it's a flyer for a horror movie more than a benefit for the homeless. But it actually does really kind of speak to the moment where, like, there wasn't a need to professionalize this stuff. This flyer was probably made... It, actually, it says tomorrow on it in letter, with, like, a giant exclamation point. I mean, it was literally run on a copy machine the day before the event. Entirely hand-done, other than, you know, there's this logo for Eye for an Eye, which my guess is was clipped off a different flyer and just pasted it on. Yeah, and all of the type is hand-done, all done in like variations of the same hand, although it looks like maybe someone else put tomorrow in the actual date on it before they threw it on the copy machine. And that, I mean, that's another thing that's kind of amazing when you go through this is so few of them actually have the full information. This strangely has the year on it, but I would guess 90% of the flyers don't have a year. They don't even necessarily have the day of the week. It's like August 2nd. It maybe has a venue, but not an address. There's a way in which they also speak to a tight-knit community, if you picked it up, you kind of had to be in the know a little bit to kind of know where this was or how you would get there. This, you know, eye for an eye one looks like it's actually on a college campus because it's sponsored by the Residence Hall Association.
1: And Eli. Yeah, call
0: Eli (laughs) Eli with questions. You know, another big part of this culture, which I semi-identified with and not Entirely was this phenomenon called straight edge. And so there's a lot of these big X's on everything. And and what straight edge was, it came from a song by a group from Washington, D.C. called Minor Threat. Ultimately, what, what ended up being a list of rules, the primary one was no drinking. The idea was that alcohol was so important to the larger society, and so many of us, not Myself, but so many of my friends had parents that were affected by alcoholism. It just was like basically a legal drug that was pretty devastating to people's lives. And so it was like, we reject that. While our peers are clamoring to drink even though they're you know under 21 everyone's sneaking out and trying to get people to buy them alcohol we're going to completely refuse that and say no that's part of the culture that we don't want
1: i mean it seems like you you actually you had a really active politicization in this community like whereas some people may experience punk as just like a a viewer and not really it in these like sort of like like deep ways and it seems like you were like diving in and wanted that engagement
0: for some reason, the late 80s, early 90s was a moment in which hardcore was particularly political and politicized. It was a time when a lot of my friends all became vegetarian, and so there was this idea around extending empathy to all creatures. The Gulf War, you know, was starting. AIDS was becoming a huge issue. I mean, in my high school, I remember like speaking out in civics class talking about how we need to, like, have, I don't even remember the specifics, compassion for people with AIDS, and that labeled me a faggot to, like, everyone else in the high school. Like, I mean, it was culturally so repressive. End of the Reagan era, Bush Sr. is president. Going into the punk scene was the place where you could do a benefit for people with AIDS and not have to worry about getting attacked when you're, you know, in the lunchroom. So much of the dominant mainstream society at that point was so odious that it felt like a desperate need to find a place that was different and alternative. And looking back, I mean, there's all kinds of serious problems with the culture that I was a part of creating. It was super macho and very male-dominated. Some issues were much more focused on than others. There was a definite tendency to deal with politics through consumption and create an alternative consumer culture that's part of what becoming vegetarian ended up being it was like i'm gonna fix the world by buying different things not eating meat not wearing nikes the sort of personal boycott politics which have a place and are meaningful but i think as i got older realized there were other ways to be political as well I think we can rummage through some more, and find some more. These bands, Kingpin and Arise, were actually from my town growing up. And I did this logo for Arise. And I, I designed a seven-inch cover and a T-shirt design for Kingpin. And then, was it this one? There was another. Oh, it was this flyer. I think this flyer's great because it's also it's other local bands. Uh, Third Degree, Dive were other Massachusetts bands. But... August is spelled wrong on the flyer and someone just in small letters wrote the U in 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 August, which I think another example of speaking to the immediacy of the culture and that it wasn't about perfection. It wasn't about overthinking. It was about like, we're just doing it. Let's just do it. And so if you had an idea, you just did it.
1: Do you have a memory of being in a room with one of these bands or your friends making a flyer like this?
0: I think actually... a. A lot of it we did at school, so we'd like stay after school at high school, just sit in the art room with scissors and magazines and like tear images out and draw stuff. Even more than flyers, I think flyers were like so, they had to be done so quickly and so efficiently. Usually like one person just threw it together, but zines tended to be a much more collaborative effort. Before I did my own zine, I did a, a series of different kind of collaborative zines with friends in high school and Uh, One of my friends, whose nickname was Fresno, his parents owned a franchise of a copy shop in the town next door. This was kind of before Kinko's, and it was like a small kind of like mini print shop almost. We would go there over the weekend, and we would like, I don't remember if we slept there. We were like, basically had these marathon sessions there where... They had like a paste-up board with this roller that you would ink this sticky paste onto a blank sheet of paper. And then you could position things and reposition them like early paste-up style. We would just put together these crazy collages of images and poetry and record reviews and throw them on the coffee machine and make copies and then sell them in the lunchroom for like a quarter. Or they were We all would do our own stuff, but it would all
1: get collaged together. It were always pretty collaborative effort. Your friend's dad just, like, let you sit in that coffee shop all night?
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't remember the specifics. I mean, we probably didn't stay overnight, but I kind of remember, like, being there so long that we'd get tired and lay on the floor, go and drink, like, six Mountain Dews so that we could keep going.
1: I guess these objects being in the archive, um, maybe we can talk a little bit about how this, these objects and this culture that you were invested in and inside for a long time. Yeah, what what made you just hang on to it and keep lugging it around?
0: When you're part of a a culture that feels like it's unique and different, whether it's a music subculture when you're a 15-year-old kid or whether it's a political culture when you're in your 20s and 30s or even older, On a certain level, you want to keep the things produced by it because you want to prove that it existed. You want to say, we did this. Because once you can say, we did this, then you can say, well, we can do it again. And we can learn from the things that we did wrong. We can do it better. The mainstream culture is so kind of intent of this sort of perpetual erasure of everything so that everything is always the way it is. And then you pull this out, you can say, no, actually, things were different. (laughs) And that means things can be different again.